Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, actress Jamie Howard, and we're going to discuss the Oscars. Let's get into this. Wow. Well, <laughs> why don't we start right there then? Okay. Okay. What, what, usually I go to a down note on this show. Let's start in an up note. What did you like about the show last night? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, Lakeith Stanfield's outfit. <laughs> Give it to the man. He knows how to dress. It's so funny. <laughs> no, I, I think it's genius. He looked so good. Um, obviously, Chloe Zhao winning was a positive note. I think she deserved. She did great. Um, I actually liked the intros that they gave everyone. You know how they kind of went into like how everybody got to the movies and that kind of stuff. Well, one of my one of my big things is: Are you happy that they kind of got rid of rid of the clips? Although we still did have some clips, it was just a stranger moment. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you about. I was like, why are there only clips for the animated features or shorts? Even like, why only the animated stuff got clips? I'm glad we got rid of them, but well, I just don't. We also had documentary as well. Documentary feature had clips, yeah. and best picture had yeah. clips, but they were. I'm I'm glad that they took scenes from the film and they weren't trying to give us like weird montages like the Academy likes to yeah. do for us. Yeah. But when you're trying to <laughs> showcase how important the back end of a film is and you're not going to show clips of what the costume is actually, what the sound design was actually, right. what the production right. design is actually, and people have no context for this that are just layman's. That I think is is a down note, and I would much rather have the clips been for that and talked about with with the bigger categories like documentary or best picture. Oh, absolutely! Because like, unless you're going to show me a clip of like the costumes getting sewn onto the dancers in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you know, like then we don't you don't have to see a clip of the movie to know what the costumes look like. You either saw the movie or you didn't, like, or you saw the poster or you didn't, like. Um, yeah, I have, I have no problem being done with the like clip style, you know, introductions to things. I'm okay with that. I'm also not one to adhere to tradition just because it's tradition though. So <laughs> how how did you feel about Soderbergh as a whole being, being the main force oh, behind gosh. this entire show? I, I will personally say. I think this is one of the better Oscars we've had in a long time because he tried Correct. to make it cinematic as opposed to this weird Emmy, just regular style award show. He was trying to make it into something new and a lot of people are, are, are pissed at that. I, I agree with, with being mad at the fact that he tried to speed up the show and maybe yes. cutting down that in memoriam, which... Oh my god, that was that was incredibly Yikes. disrespectful. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Like there was I was on a Zoom with um another group of friends that do a podcast and I'm like, you know, trying to like keep track of who's scrolling by and at the end, they're all in the industry. So at the end, everybody jumped in with like an entire list of who did or didn't get, you know, mentioned. And I was like, oh, yikes on bikes. This is going to trend on Twitter tomorrow. Like this is going to be bad <laughs> I just I knew it was coming I was like and that was that was you know one of the first 
moments of the night that people felt slighted. And so as soon as that energy started to roll through, I just got this building sense of like, oh no. <laughs> I, I think it was beautiful. Um, at first I was very, I didn't realize it was going to be in Union Station. So when they cut into the crowd, I was like, well, where the heck are they? Like, <laughs> I said, I was like, hold on guys, are they in the train station? And all my friends that are in LA were like, oh yeah, they've had the area blocked off for, you know, the whole week, blah, blah, blah. I had no idea. So I was pleasantly surprised at the aesthetics. I, it was very Soderbergh, like extremely his look. <laughs> I mean, it, it, they might as well have recreated like every big dance number he's ever filmed, you know, in the space. The lighting looked amazing. The set design looked amazing. If they did an amazing job, kudos. Um, but I noticed they didn't really play off any of anyone giving speeches either. Like, unless I missed... No. Who did they play off? Yeah. You, you also had... So Questlove and The Roots recorded all the music <laughs> beforehand. So he was like... I, I, And he was very far away. If you looked at the aesthetics from the high shot, he Literally. really couldn't see what the hell was going on. So to have a DJ that's supposed to be like the music cues of the situation... I think you did a pretty good job for the fact of where he was located in the building and still trying to get things accomplished. A, a lot of people yeah. are mad at where he did and didn't start a song, but man, he could barely see what the hell was going on. Right. And that's what I pointed out. I was like, well, he's in a bird's nest essentially. Like he's up here and like everybody else is kind of spread out. And I don't think people at home really realized because if you weren't watching the like live stream that had the like multiple camera angles, I don't think they really understood the scope of what was being done. Because if you're a lay person, A, you don't understand the months and months of prep work that go into building out a set for just, just, I'm doing air quotes for the people in the audience, um, goes into an award show, much less, you know, one that's only <laughs> a different theme every year. And it's not like they were in their usual space. Like they had so many obstacles to overcome. And I think Questlove was such a good, I mean, I say good because I'm lacking adjectives right now. He was such a good choice to DJ because who else is going to be able to carry that with that same kind of jovial, you know, I mean, it's Questlove. Like he's amazing, first of all, but <laughs> his attitude is just like, yeah, screw it. Let's party. Like it's a, it's a party. Like let's make this a lighthearted moment. And I think Regina King did such a good job you know, just in general, I'm still, we can talk about this too, but I'm still upset that she wasn't nominated. <laughs> um, I think that she deserved the award long before Chloe did, but that's, <laughs> that's my own thing. You're not wrong. I'm going to stop myself there before we get too far into it because she, her body of work in general, and this isn't not an argument, but a heated discussion every year, right? Is, is, they're getting this award supposedly for what they're nominated for. But the actuality is that a lot of times it either gets given or doesn't get <laughs> awarded based on their bigger body of work. And then it becomes the politics side that a lot of people who are not in the industry don't either have zero interest of you know, being a part of anyways, because it doesn't affect them their day to day, which is understandable, or it turns people cynical to it, both in as fans or people in the industry. Um, 
and I was in a very heated, tense moment last night when someone was, you know, kind of talking over me while I was like, well, you know, I'm not naive to the fact that there's, there's social politics that go into choices and the voting and things like that and big campaigns. But this award is supposed to be for what they're nominated for. And I said it completely devoid of context, just in the general, you know, idea of the Oscars. And that sparked a huge discussion about best director, best cinematography, best this, that, and the other, and how, how we're being asked to vote across so many different genres of film and so many different types of film. Um, because obviously Nomadland is a very different movie than Mank and it's a very different movie than uh, Judas and the Black Messiah and everything, Minari and everything else. Um, or as Zendaya said it, Minari. Um, <laughs> that, that got a chuckle out of me last night. It was because she was saying the French director's <laughs> I was dying. I was like, oh, she just rolled with it. I love it. But yeah, I mean, those were the highlights for me. And then of course, you know, I'm a, I'm a fashion person. So listen, the red carpet is always fun for me. I'm just like, yes, if it's the Oscars, go big or go home. And I think you and I actually had best, at least best dressed man picked out. Oh, Coleman decided to come in there and absolutely destroy anybody that's ever walked that red carpet. (laughs) Like I'm, I, I might go like in the history of the Oscars. That is the single best suit I've seen anybody wear to the Oscars. He looked so good. I was like, hell yes. I was like, okay, so it's him and then like Keith and then like everybody else. And of course, like Stephen Yen always looks great. Like Riz Ahmed always looks great. Like those are just good looking guys. And, and I just, I love the little boy's shorts with, with the socks. That was just a really adorable moment. So cute. Um, I mean, and, and obviously like, this was kind of the first, I mean, it wasn't the first award show during COVID by any means, but this felt like the one with the most weight so far for a lot of people. So it was really fun to kind of see everybody get excited again. Um, it, was I don't the, know. It, it, it was the first non-glorified Zoom call. So <laughs> Yes, that was it. That was it. Like the Grammys, some people were Zoomed in. Obviously the Emmys, like SAG, all that kind of stuff. And so... I mean, we still have to make it through festival season this summer and everything, but it felt like the Oscars. And that was a breath of fresh air personally for me. Like it felt like an event, Um, even with people who couldn't be there, you know, like they were in a staged area with a suit on or a gown on, you know, and I know I'm still like, did they just ship everybody an award just in case they won? Like, (laughs) um, and that's the thing is like they couldn't go. What I missed is that they couldn't go backstage and get their award engraved. Like we couldn't have like the Oscar cam, the engraving cam. That's always my favorite. I get very emotional and verklempt. I'm like, oh my God, like they're getting their name engraved on it. Everybody that watches it with me is like, this is it. This is the part that gets you choked up. <laughs> it's a sentimental thing. I don't know how else to describe it. We, we've both talked about the layman. And this is the lowest rated show in the history of the Oscars now. Do you think that we need to stop pandering to the wide audience? At at this point, it's 2021. They're still trying to get these bigger films, push these certain kinds of films to be bigger. I kind of feel that way about Nomadland, but 
Yeah. There's there's a certain kind of film that they're trying to push during Oscar season to the regular people. Why are we pandering to people that don't give a shit to begin with? Why are we not doing the award show for <laughs> the people that it that, that care about it, for the industry people? We're not <laughs> Do you think that we need to get away from this? It, it, it's 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 like the Super Bowl because it's just not and it's never going to be that again. Yes and no. Um, The critique of that is that these films are, and it was spoken about at length across several, you know, winner speeches and nominee speeches and things like that, that there's this idea that we can kind of use film to be a reflection and Obviously, I'm all about it. Like, I think that the Oscars can be aspirational in so much as it can give that lay person who feels that they cannot connect to the film industry at large because of their life situation. It gives them a window into, oh, well, maybe I should be watching this movie that got nominated. But I mean, the SBs don't pander to people who don't watch sports. <laughs> The Grammys don't really pander to people who don't listen to music. They they are very heavily about popular music now. Correct. Yes. But, you know, I think there's this cynicism of, from people who are not in the industry and people, some people who are, of, well, I'm not going to see any of these movies anyways. Fine. That's great. Then this isn't for you. And so I tend to agree with you on that point of like, well, then let's just stop trying to play ball with people who don't know the sport. And and that's fine. I'm not asking everybody to kiss the feet of whoever is nominated that year. But for those of us who are not only in the industry, but are true fans of cinema, of film, of the art of filmmaking, you if I wasn't, you could not get me to sit through a three and a half hour show. You know, like I, (laughs) I wouldn't be giving up all of a Sunday night and staying up until midnight when I have personal training clients at 7am the next morning. (laughs) Um, if I didn't care. And I think the pandering to the wider audience is mostly for advertisers sake. Um, because we all know that Usually, if a film wins, it gets another run in the theater, usually. And I think COVID played a huge part in the low numbers this year because no one saw a lot of films. They didn't see the value in paying for a film in their own home, which I think is a whole other <laughs> a whole other monster to hunt, you know? Like, you're not valuing an art form, and, and it's not for everybody, you know? I'm, I'm understanding of people who don't want to watch it, but I'm also team, you know, those of us who do want to watch it, <laughs> then let us have the show, you know, like let us have this moment of, of acknowledgement of what a hard, hard job and hard industry this can be, especially this past year. And I hope that's not too, too alienating. Um, I don't want to gatekeep at all, but I do want there to be an acknowledgement of, well, you don't get mad when your best friend, Susie, that doesn't give two rips about baseball, doesn't watch the world series why are you upset that you've never heard of any of these movies? And also whose fault is that? <laughs> I also love every year. It's, I don't know these films. It's too hard for me to see these films. And then this year, you literally could have seen 
every single anything. thing nominated, and you still have the people. I I didn't see anything this year. What are you talking about? Like all these Oscar movies, I saw none of them. That was completely on you this year because you had the opportunity. Everybody is subscribed to Disney Plus, to Netflix, to Prime. It doesn't matter. These are the studios now, and that is where the films are coming from. So it's your own fault if you're not watching these things. And, you know, God, yes. Like, it just made me so upset when people are like, I've never, especially because I'm a champion of the shorts. I think more people should be watching the shorts, paying attention to the shorts, because so many filmmakers get their start on both sides of the camera in a short. And they're nominated for a reason, you know? And I can understand if, if documentaries are not your thing, maybe you skip that category, but then you don't get to get on Twitter and be like, well, this should have won, but I didn't also, I only watched this one movie out of the 10 nominated or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's my number one pet peeve, Robert. It's my number one pet peeve when people are like, this should have won, but also I only saw two movies that were nominated and I'm like, do you want a cookie? Like, I don't understand. Like, it's funny because I feel like the arts are the only industry and the only section of, you know, of public facing life where like, it's not cool. Cause that's not the word I'm looking for, but it's almost applauded to be ignorant of it. And it's really disheartening because especially this year, there were so many beautiful films nominated in every category. And like you said, they had the most access we've ever had. If you have an internet connection. Um, yeah, I have a lot of feelings about like <laughs> access in general, but if you were stuck at home this year and, and did what you were supposed to do and stayed inside most of your time, you literally had nothing but time and space and access to these films and these were powerful films this year. Like, I I genuinely enjoyed every single Best Picture nomination. Every single one of them. It's been a couple of years since I've been able to say that. <laughs> I've watched them every year, but that doesn't mean that I enjoyed all of them every year. Um, yeah, I could not agree more. I really couldn't agree more. It also doesn't help that a lot of Academy members don't watch things themselves. And... I think that there needs to be a crackdown on a lot of Academy members. If you're voting, I, I'm sorry, there, there needs to be something in place to say that you've seen these films and that you've you've reached <laughs> at least every Best Picture nominee because I'm sorry, if you haven't even seen those as an Academy member, why are you still on the Academy? Like, it, it boggles my mind. Well, exactly. And my whole thing is like, there were so many, there were so many uh, cross nominations this year and and there are every year, several, but especially this year, like you could, if you watched the best picture nominees, you would have been able to vote in all the other categories with, except for short and documentary, obviously with an honest idea of, yes, I enjoyed this and appreciated it for what it was versus well, this has an actor in it that I like or, or I don't like in some cases. And it's really frustrating, and it happens in the SAG Awards, you know? I mean, it happens at the Emmys, but especially especially the SAG Awards. <laughs> and it's just, it blows my mind. I'm like, how can you have a say-so? How can you have a vote in this? And you don't even understand the 
I mean, you don't even understand the nominations, like why they got nominated for best picture or best editing or sound design or whatever. Um, it's, it also is very frustrating because again, it pulls a certain cynicism out of the layperson where they're like, well, they didn't even watch it. So why should I watch it? Or they just vote for who they think, you know, has the biggest name or whatever. So why should I care? It's a circle. It's like a, <laughs> it's an Ouroboros. <laughs> um, and we're kind of eating our own right now with the, with the lack of uh, knowledge on what's nominated and why it's nominated. Well, let's go through a few of these. Actually, let's just do all. I'm of ready. Them. I, I just I want to know what you think. We'll start it off. Best original song, "Fight for You," Judas and the Black Messiah. Were you happy? Were you upset? Did you want something else to win? I like the music in that movie. So I was like, cool, good, good for you guys. Like I, um, I wasn't all that surprised to be completely honest with you, uh, given what else was nominated and I enjoyed everything that was nominated. Um, I mean, I never, the only thing that I've ever had a super strong feeling about song wise happened several years ago. So to me, it's like, this is not my, arena. I don't make music. I just know what I like and what goes with a, a song and a film and how it all weaves together. I think that was such a heavy film this year and the song was so powerful. I was totally fine with it winning. You know, this was not a, this was not a category that I had hot and cold feelings about. Um, again, I felt pretty, pretty satisfied. I think when it won, um, I would say considering that, who all worked on it. Well, I would say Eurovision would have been funny to win, but this is probably the best thing to win. I listen. I tweeted my my most liked tweet of my Oscars thread was, "Well, Yaya Ding Dong wasn't even nominated, so <laughs> I, I just enjoy Yaya Ding Dong. Like I, it was fun. It was lighthearted. Eurovision. That whole movie was a blast. To be honest, it was." Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams being ridiculous, but I mean, yeah, it's a, I understand why they gave it to um, the song from Judas and the Black Messiah, because again, artistically, I think it was probably the most intricate and probably thematically the most important for that movie. Best original score. <clears throat> it was always going to Trent and Atticus. I, I don't yeah. think that there was ever a point where, <laughs> Trent and Atticus weren't, weren't walking up there. I do feel like it's for the wrong movie, and it's for the wrong movie because of John Baptiste's involvement Correct. in the score. Do you, what are your feelings on Soul winning this? Oh, well, okay. I was a little disappointed because I liked the score to Minari. I also liked the score to Mink, um, but it was Trent. I mean, it wasn't a surprise. I was, and it's a beautiful movie. You know, it's so well done. I think the criticism is that, and I'm not, you know, I don't shy away from this, but it makes me laugh that they like Twitter exploded and was like, it's literally like a bunch of white guys getting up to talk about jazz and like what it means to them. And I was like, yeah, like that can kind of get, you know, that's a little bit of a 
awkward moment when everybody's like, oh, there's <laughs> the lead character in this animated film is, is African-American and there's no apparently uh, body on stage that looks like that to accept this award. I, I will and, say I, I will say to everybody having that problem with, with the score, though, the more jazz elements were John Baptiste. It was more of correct. the crazier elements that were Trenton Atticus. And that's why it was this mold of both of them. And I think the problem and I think why Mank didn't win is because most of the Academy members didn't hear the entire four-hour score. If you've heard <laughs> that entire four-hour score... It's beautiful. It's fucking mind-boggling. Like, it's, uh, as, yeah. far, as far as I'm concerned, it's the best thing Trent's written. And, like, I'm going Nine Inch Nails. I'm going Social Network. It doesn't matter. That score to Mank, if you listen to that entire four-hour version... It's the best thing those two have ever wrote. It's beautiful. And I, sorry, I have notes that I want to make sure I like hit all my talking points Do because it. I, I had so many feelings about Trump winning because I knew it was always going to be him. But I agree with you. I think it was for the wrong movie. <laughs> and I think he should have won it for several things before now. Um, but I'm not sad that he won it for this one. And again, this goes back to my conversation well, of he, he he did win for uh, for Social Network, which I which was deserving. But there is there's been some things in between <laughs> that he Correct. most certainly should have been nominated at least for. And it it always cracks me up because there's still this subset of the population who is who are like the guy from Nine Inch Nails, and I'm like, he's been doing this for a long time. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? He's not just the guy from Nine Inch Nails. Um, and I think he's a genius, to be honest. And I don't throw that word out there lightly. Like, I enjoy... There's not a single thing he's done for a film that I have not thoroughly enjoyed. Um, he even, and that's coming... He even almost saved Bird Box. Almost. Oh, I say almost. Almost. <laughs> almost. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we're getting a sequel to that, right? Are we? I... I thought so. I thought that was oh, one of the man. things that got pushed back due to COVID. That's gonna be that's gonna have to be a um, mystery science theater three thousand style watch along with us because <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. Um, yeah, and and I don't think enough people saw *The Five Bloods* to appreciate the score uh, that voted in the Academy, um, and unfortunately, in general. Um, you know, I joke that it passed the dad test. So for those who have never, actually, I don't think anybody's listening to this probably heard me say this movies always pass the dad test for me if he goes to see it and then texts me about it afterwards or if he gets it on demand and then texts me about it afterwards and he's a pretty discerning critic like he's uh you know he likes what he likes and likes what he doesn't but the man's favorite movie is sling blade so <laughs> he's he's got a lot of thoughts um but yeah that's my that's my two cents on that one because if we're going in order and the next category is what i think it is I got thoughts. <laughs> I don't think it is going to be what you think it is. We're going best. Okay, that's fine. We're going best film editing. And how, oh. how do you feel about the sound of metal winning that one? I, did you say best sound editing? Mm-hmm. Or film editing. Film oh, of editing. course. I don't know why. So film it's editing. It's because oh, we're sorry. talking about, we're talking about scores and now we're talking about it. Film editing. Yeah, I thought that it was absolutely beautiful. Listen, spoiler, it was my favorite film of all the Best Picture nominations, so I was totally fine with it winning every possible category. Um, 
it had a lot of beautiful scenes, but so did Nomadland. Um, I think there were some gorgeous stretches in that. Uh, I think the only one I would have been not upset, but disappointed if it won was the trial of Chicago seven, everything else I would have been like, okay, that tracks, but I'm thrilled that sound of metal won. thrilled. I think it deserves so many, many, many awards. (laughs) We're going to best cinematography. My favorite award of the night. Eric, I was going to say Eric Messer Schmidt fucking killing it. I honestly, going into the night, I thought, I I didn't think it was going to happen. I really didn't. And they gave the award to the most deserving man at that Academy Awards last night. Above Fincher. Above everybody there. Like, anybody that I think should have won awards last night, Eric was above and beyond all of them. And the fact that they actually gave it to him blows my mind. That was the... (laughs) First thing the Academy did right last night. I, I loved it. <laughs> Fucking loved it. And Eric, if you're listening to this, I want you on the show. We have to talk about your cinematography. Uh, I think Eric Eric did a phenomenal job. Obviously, I thought Mank was gorgeous. I thought it was absolutely stunning. Um, I wanted Joshua James Richards to win because it was so well done. I thought Nomadland, again, was beautiful to to me it's really hard to describe this for people who are not in the industry like what's the difference between like editing and cinematography because to them it like all kind of gets fuzzy um I was honestly you were the first person I thought of when he won I was like oh Robert's gonna be so thrilled and everybody on the zoom was like who and I was like my I have to talk on another podcast tomorrow it's fine (laughs) um (laughs) um again I think the the I think I originally picked News of the World in my bracket, so to speak, because I was like, oh, it's going to be a consolation prize. And then it didn't win anything. And I was like, oh, wow, they really just didn't give anybody anything related to that film. I thought it was a well-done movie. I thought it was the big sweeping shots of the, you know, American countryside. Um, they were all pretty to look at but I think the technically correct choice yes was Eric like the details that went into that the lighting that went into that the again and we're gonna have to have the longer conversation about this when we get to best picture because if you are not in the industry or not a super fan or are not into like the history of Hollywood in general I don't think you can fully appreciate what that film looked like and then what its subject matter looked like. And the tone was there. I was completely fine with him winning. I was, it was either, I either wanted, like I said, Nomadland or I was going to be fine with Eric winning anything else. I would have been a little surprised of, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. I'm specifically thinking of the scene in the Hearst garden. So pretty. <laughs> I'll, I'll go anywhere. I will go his entire tracking shot with Louis V. Mayer, and they're walking in to give the bad news to everybody. How he lit that. I <laughs> That is a masterclass in in how to be a cinematographer. If that if that 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 entire movie just needs to be taught in school. Like as far as I'm concerned, that is cinematography. I mean, uh- Yes, and all the actors sitting in the bleachers and them being like, are you going to take a pay cut too? Like that whole, like as each one popped up, like it was 
And then of course we get the sweet moment with the kid actor, you know, I'm in, um, the long, I'm a sucker for a long tracking shot anyways. Um, <laughs> cause I know what goes into them and I'm very impressed every time. Um, but I, I understand why people are criticizing it being in black and white. And that's why they were saying that was the only criticism I heard that they were like, Oh, the movie that was shot in black and white. And I'm like, that's neither here nor there. Like the, emotion that was conveyed in so many of those intimate scenes when he's recovering in bed and it's just him and you know note and annotating the script and everything like we have an appreciation for it that I think the average again the average moviegoer is not going to have and that's fine I'm not trying to to, <laughs> to have the broad appeal as you said um yeah I mean I wish more people would go into this with an open mind. <laughs> let's, let's continue on the mank train and let's go best okay. production design. It was, it, it was inevitable at, 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 at a certain point this year that Meg was winning this. I was ready to fight somebody who was trying to argue with me that it shouldn't. And I said, did you see any portion of this movie from the costumes to the sets to recreating classic the filming of classic film scenes and these moments of like you know just old hollywood but but an honest old hollywood not the not the boslerman hollywood like it's it's beautiful and i think you know just the scene at dinner when they're all in costume at the long table like that alone i was like oh yeah this is winning like I saw it and I was like, yeah, this is winning. Um, cause I was doing my ballot as I watched it and I was like, oh man, I don't think anything else in this. I'm looking at my notes now and there's nothing in this category that makes me say like, well, yeah, that could have been a contender, you know, like, and that's not to poo poo anything else that was nominated, but just, I mean, there's nothing in here. Yeah. That I'm like, hmm, that could have been a fighter. <laughs> let's, let's keep on Mank. Okay. I want to know your feelings after this. And very few times do I ever rant on this podcast. I try not to. I'm so excited. <laughs> but I'm just going to go for it. Because to me, it's funny to see these people treating it like it's a lifeless cosplay of the golden age of Hollywood. I feel like I'm going to say this a lot, but this is spoken from people who I can truly tell didn't see the film on the big screen the way it was meant to be seen. The transfer on Netflix, it's glossy. And yes, it does take away the grandness of Messerschmitt's cinematography. But to say this doesn't work as a contemporary or as a retro piece completely takes away from what Fincher was going for and frankly not giving Fincher the credit he deserves for truly molding this cinematic experience that wholly encompasses the time period it's portraying. Cinephiles sit and wonder why certain people are praising this begs the question that these people should be calling themselves cinephiles if they don't see how much pure filmmaking craft is in this film to begin with. For those saying that Fincher only sort of commits to the time frame and not shooting on film because it's and only keeping a widescreen, then filming digital with modern lenses and compositions, CGI skis, uh, skies and artificial cigarette burns, it's, it's bitching on the way that it was presented to you. You watched it on Netflix because as someone who was lucky enough to see this on the big screen, the aging effects were the only time in modern cinema 
I can tell you this was used properly and it worked in the theatrical experience. Netflix to allow, or Netflix to arrow, like arrow films, keeping, they're essentially getting films glossier and glossier because this is what the general public keeps saying that they want. This is a problem with our times, not with this film. It looks absolutely stunning on the big screen. And if any film needs to get a re-release right now, it's that. And the complaints on Jack's screenplay seem to always miss the point and essence of the entire thing as well. To say the dialogue is murky and the structure is too disjointed really doesn't allow me to see that you have any previous knowledge of the time and the people involved. You could go off about how certain actors don't look like who they are portraying, but to say when Mank is on screen is some Andy Kaufman-like sitcom fare is not giving it any due process to who Mank as a human was and how this is what he was like in essence and how off-kilter he was in that time. Frankly, Gary Oldman gives one of the finest performances of his career here. It's a, it's a time where Fincher could have, like every other director, hid Gary under a huge amount of prosthetics and let him shine that way. But instead, he allows him to be raw, allowing him to just truly act and not act through something. It feels like a freeing performance for Gary. You can, <clears throat> you can say it comes across as ham or overacted or just another drunk white man, but the complexities of his eyes and emotion in this performance, they're going to shine as the years go on. To see this at your home and not have this kind of performance given to you on the big screen is again a huge reason why a lot felt this film didn't work. But there is such a complexity to this role here, frankly in Amanda's role, in Lily's role. It really ends up being a masterclass in acting. And it's funny to see these woke people through shitting on Oldman, like those shitting on Oldman's performance for just being another drunk white guy who hates his wife. First off, what do you think this time period was? Imagine if Fincher would have got a black actor to portray Mank or something ridiculous like that. You'd be even more pissed. Then this notion that movies shouldn't be made about old Hollywood or white figures or drunks to me is just preposterous. I'm the first advocate for more inclusivity in the film industry, but just to shit on a work because it's not to the PC standards of right now that you want it to be, that's just insane. The point is to allow more stories and more visions to get out there, not censorship and demonization just because the theme doesn't fit with what you want it to be at the moment. It's the same with complaining about structure because it doesn't follow whatever music video fast cut ADD style structure you so desperately need at this moment. To have a mix this brilliant modern sensibilities with old school pacing and make it work in the editing room, it's no small feat. Like the time, the time ran slower back then. And for Kirk Baxter and Fincher to pull this level of engagement off and give you an essence of a time that was... It, it, it was, it was a true achievement. You can say Sound of Metal had some great editing sequences, but the complete technical achievement of editing this should be getting studied in almost like, immediately at film school. To, to have you engaged in that time frame for people now with, with their ADD sensibilities, it was, it, it, it's an achievement. It really is. Now, the film isn't without its flaws. Would it have worked better without Orson? Hell yes, it would have. If he had stayed a shadowy figure, I think the film could have risen to the top 10 of all time, from top 10 of all time for me, to top 5 of all time for me, 
but we kind of have to talk about Pauline. In February 1971, Pauline Kael's New Yorker essay, Raising Cain in the New Yorker, raised the case that Herman J. Mankiewicz was the sole writer of Citizen Kane. This was almost immediately disproven by a Peter Bogdanovich Esquire essay, which Wells did have a hand in, so it leads to further conspiracy from some. Robert Carringer further looked into this matter and discovered memos and drafts from 1940 that were written by, that were written by Wells. The Citizen Kane script was deemed a co-authorship between Mank and Wells. Now, Kale being one of the greatest critics of all time, found herself in a position of constant reprintings of her work. Her Kane essay was even put as a preface if you wanted to buy the Citizen Kane script, while the McDonovich essay in Esquire, as well as the Karinger piece in academic journals, never got this kind of attention then, nor has it ever received this kind of reprinting that Kale's essay has, and, and was rarely read to begin with, due to it only appearing in academic journals. Now, you could look at this being a fan fiction-style film with false narrative as its base, but the film is less about Kane than a lot of the film critics would have you believe. It's a film about aura, in essence. And frankly, both sides of this story should have equal opportunity to share their case for the truth. There is RKO... Uh, the, the film made years ago. There's the documentary on Kane. I recommend that you watch these films on top of this film. The point of great art is to spark narrative, not deem something absolute. If anything, this film makes you want to learn more about Kane as a whole, and that's a good thing. This will allow you to come away with a more educated and balanced opinion and be a balanced opinion maker, something this society has sorely lost at this point. Cinephiles also aren't going to admit anytime soon, but we are living in a time where streaming services are allowing filmmakers to express themselves in a way only the 1970s had previously. The 1990s had this forging path for indie filmmakers that did lead to more commercial success, but only in the 1970s would a filmmaker like John Cassavetes or Francis Ford Coppola rise to the level of stardom in the mainstream in quite that way. This is until we started to work through the streaming kinks. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing I hate more than saying that Netflix is bringing back the director's era, but I'm not going to sit by and demonize some of the best films of the last decade that, that have been released because there's not a major studio behind them. As a film scholar and someone in the industry for 25 years, along with a focus in motion picture arts and sciences from the beginning up to 1981, I haven't seen a film since There Will Be Blood and No Country that has truly perfected the technical abilities of film in these modern times. There have been moments of sheer awe for me in cases of Burning Bush and the revisit to Twin Peaks, but these were working on different level because they had an ability to breathe because of their run times. A film like The Other Side of the Wind truly makes you reevaluate and refocus on what a film a, is a really a brilliant art form but this is also a different category because that wasn't truly made in modern times and yes i know it's amazing that i'm talking about another wells film but i just have to i've been searching for something that i can truly add to the top of my films of all time list my entire life i still believe there are films from the past lost to most of the world that are some of the best ever made and don't get a fair shot in their time 
then in 2021, I find a film that burst into my top 10 of all time, a film by all accounts should have saved cinema in a time where cinemas were closed to the public and the public were at home needing a savior to the art form. Mank showed us that David Fincher not only still has gas in the tank, but hadn't even got out of the dealership's parking lot yet. Again, for the most part, seeing who hated this on the critic and cinephile world was just an exercise in opinion slinging that seemed to just try and have people talk about what they wanted to talk about and have other people talk about their opinions. It's funny the lack of proper education and frankly just viewing of older works that they haven't done. Then come into somewhere like Letterboxd with their snowflake bullshit to try and prove that they're more film macho than the next guy because how could a film made for Netflix be important? They can't allow this to happen and I'm a huge advocate of making the rules harder for them when it comes to the Academy but when they actually pull out the single most important works of the last decade, you need to start giving credit where credit is due. Now, I completely get if the average moviegoer finds these kinds of films boring, frankly pretentious. But if you're someone in the industry and you have an actual training on film and you're giving these less than a four, for the most part, it just seems like they're trying to troll people to talk about their opinion. This was a beautiful cross-pollination a decade's worth of cinema weaving, pacing, editing styles of the last 50 years of filmmaking, brilliant cinematography from Eric that captured the true richness of the blacks of the film stocks of the time and the soft and gentle brilliance of those whites. The writing gave such a deep-rooted blankness to those characters that it made them more relatable in ways that is hard to achieve in even a documentary. The set design and score were also on such a level of dreamlike quality that it's working to be everlasting in your memory. It is a full love letter to cinema and a masterclass on not only cinema, but modern cinema. I find a film that is dedicated to cinephiles gets shit on by cinephiles, usually because they are going by gut reactions towards the film and never putting up a, raising, a rating based on technical merits. I don't think this is a proper way of rating a film, which is frankly a discussion for another time, but this is why I can't stand film critique. But then to double down that Netflix, but then to double down, uh, Netflix releases another black and white film that should have this should be another tour to force for cinephiles. Yet again, these preconceived notions are going into films with bias that has led to the downgrading of a film that 20 years ago would have been held as a modern masterpiece. But in the time of woke and cancel culture and running talking points without any any education or background or even the simplest of looking past surface level, it gets lost. It goes without saying this is a byproduct of politics in North America and not giving credit where credit is due. You can't just demonize everything. Even a man like Trump had policies that progressives can get behind. The point is to fight for more and to call out evils and wrongdoings. But when something is actually good and you try to take a stance to be talked about more just because you have this narcissistic uptrend of the West over the last few decades and this constant populist-style rhetoric the baby, the baby boomers installed among their people and their children, all you do is make things that are actually good seem bad to the people that need to get fired up to demand and fight for even more. I have gone on long enough, though. I do want to say one last thing on the film, though. That's Trent Naticus' score. The level of craft in this it's the best in their careers. Pulling that off in COVID times, 
especially if you've heard all four hours of it, is a feat that needs to be recognized. Uh, I don't know if anybody has seen the behind the scenes of how they put that together. It's mind-blowing. The fact that that happened during the pandemic blows my mind. This, the sole score from them was interesting, but it's anything like that. But it's nothing like this. That actually goes for the sound of the entire movie. The level of craft to get it not empty in that soundscape is something of wonder. Uh, I, 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 I don't know your opinions. I've been holding off for months to hear Jamie's opinions on this, and she finally watched the film, and I got my rant finally because everybody's been waiting for my Mank rant. So there it was. Let's get into it. What did you think of Mank, and then what did you think of, of my rant, I guess? Well, you're not wrong on so many points. Um, you know, the argument of, is this a film for right now? is completely valid and absolutely can be brought up, but it goes back to our conversation on who are the Oscars for? I am a student of film. I'm a student of acting. I've been taking acting classes since the second, the summer before my second grade <laughs> year started. Um, I am classically trained. I grew up watching old movies I love history. I like knowing the ins and outs of things like this. Basically saying I co-sign everything you said about the production value and what it meant to make this movie right now because it was stunning to look at, yes. And the issue of it getting compressed on a screen for Netflix is huge. And I had somebody kind of you know, snark at me are you saying that if you make a movie bigger and louder, that makes it better? Absolutely not. But there is a certain weight to seeing a movie on a screen that it was formatted for versus we're going to take that formatting and reformat it to our screen that you watch at home. Um, there is a weight to the history behind a film like this. There is a weight to the process you know, you've heard me say this before that I haven't, I'm, I usually enjoy movies that look like they were shot on film, whether they were or not. I prefer them. I think it's a nostalgia thing for me. And I readily own up to that. This ticked every box that eight-year-old me who understood for the first time that you could be an actor and get paid for it. This, this was her love. This was like, oh my God, these are real people with real problems. And this is how these movies got made. And I don't think it sweeps anything under the rug. It's absolutely not just a gloss over of what people actually were like. Um, it, <laughs> Mank is not exactly a, <laughs> a sympathetic character throughout the whole thing. <laughs> and I think anybody who's saying it's just another drunk white guy clearly has not seen the film <laughs> because there's no one throwing roses at him this whole time. Um, he gets off some of the best one-liners I've heard in a movie in a long time. Uh, it's my kind of humor. I love the snappy dialogue. Um, I actually told the group last night that I think it says a lot that I really enjoy this movie. And also one of my favorite movies is His Girl Friday. <laughs> and I'm like, that just kind of says everything you need to know, you know? Um, there is a film festival whose 
one of their taglines on their merch that they and it, that they sell, and it's not their only tagline, but it just says respect for cinema on it. And I think we've, like you've said, we've lost that. We've lost a sense of there's a history behind everything. And I think it's doing the entire industry a disservice to, like you said, sort of dismiss the story and this film because of who it's about, who it is about. I can't even talk because I'm like getting emotional, you guys. Um, There is a, again, I'm just going to go back to this word weight because it's the only adjective I can think to use or, or noun at this point. <laughs> it's become one of my language. To understand what came before us and to appreciate this work of art because there is an entire industry that was built before us makes you, in my opinion, a better filmmaker, a better film fan. You know, there's the old saying, you got to know where you've been to understand where you're going. And I just feel like there can be more of this about anybody from Hollywood, you know, like there can be more of revisiting the honest to God story behind for me, I'm a, for those that don't know, I'm a horror fan. So like, I want a movie like this, but about the original Night of the Living Dead, like having the first black lead in a mainstream film, like, and George Romero's thought process of, well, he was the best actor, but I'm well aware of the political nature of this and everything. And I'm at a loss for words when I go to describe this movie make to people who have never seen Citizen Kane and don't understand what RKO was doing at the time and don't understand what the studio system was like at the time because of course they're not going to appreciate it they don't know the players it's like it's like going to see a remake of a shakespeare play and not understanding why you know famously there was a theater company that did a, a version of um i think it was richard the 3rd but it was in a a bunker during world war 2 like, it, it, you have to know the history behind something to understand why they would do that adaptation, right? So, of course, people who've, who've never gone and read all those wonderful, the, all the essays you were talking about and any of the commentary for that matter, if they've never read that or seen these films or understood the history behind it, of course they didn't think this was a good movie because they were probably lost because Mank is not a reliable you, like you said, a reliable viewpoint in and of himself. Like he's a, he's drunk the entire time. Like he's the cinematography reflected that. Like I did love specifically, there's a scene when he's on the set and I forgive me cause I cannot remember what they're filming, but she's tied up at the stake, like about to get burned at the stake. Um, and the lighting in that scene, it's so bright and so clear as day and such a contrast to him in the hallways of the studio or in the meetings with all the executives or, you know, following whoever around the lot. Like, it's just, it's got a weight to it. That's the only word I'm, and I'm going to keep saying it until I'm blue in the face because I do not have other adjectives right now or, you know, a way to describe it because it's, it's heavy with history and I really appreciated it. 
It's not in my top 10 of all time, but I am a Fincher fangirl and I knew what I was going into so I could appreciate that for what it was. In terms of best picture, I wanted Sound of Metal or It to win, you know? So yes, I was a little disappointed that Nomadland won, but they're all good movies in and of their own right. I just have my favorites. And this happened to be, you know, I felt very strongly about Sound of Metal. Um, and then not as strongly, but just as affectionate for Mank. And I think that's the right word I've been trying to search for this entire time <laughs> in my ADHD brain um, is an affection. It was like learning all the family secrets and, and having a greater appreciation that these people were human before they were your mom and dad or your, or your granddad and granddad. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. And I just, it's very disheartening when people are like, oh, it's a Netflix movie. <laughs> I have to stop myself. I really do because I I really just hope that at the end of the decade I am right and nobody remembers Nomadland and people are still studying, and just... talking and remembering Mank. Because I do feel if it gets that breath of fresh air that it needs in the cinemas, it's going to go down as one of the best of the decade. I listen, I'm on board with this because again, God, Amanda Seyfried, can we just talk about her performance for a second? Because Unbelievable. And I, even past her, her and Lily, because I was not expecting Lily Correct. Collins to actually give that good of a performance as well. <laughs> oh, no. I was very, I wasn't surprised at all. I, I, you know, I thought this was right up her alley in terms of casting. Um, but I can understand why you would have that, you know, especially in the back of your mind, but God, Amanda just knocks it out of the park. And I just, first of all, she looks like an old time movie star. So that helps, but there's a certain characterization. There's a certain physicality and it was present in every single moment of that film that she was in. Like there was never a, a missed beat or, you know, I mean, the whole time I was like, God, she could play Veronica Lake. She could play whoever. Like, there were so many 40s film stars that were popping, 40s and 50s, that were popping into my head that I was like, oh, my God, they should remake this with her and, like, <laughs> film it in black and white. Do it. Like, um, God, she just knocked it out of the park last night. And, um, yeah, that's, we can talk about that when we get to her category. But she was phenomenal. She was truly phenomenal. Let's get back into it. It's going to be the worst segue ever going from Mick back into this, but let's just, let's just okay. do it. Best visual effects, Tenant. Um, I, like, <laughs> this is, like, the first time that Nolan didn't have a shit ton of effects. Like, so the fact that this one visual effects, like, sure, <laughs> fine. Like, I guess. Like, it just, it, it's so preposterous that this of all... Nolan films wins visual effects, but sure. Am I am I forgetting anything that like did they nominate they they did they nominate Inception? Honestly, I can't remember. I, I want to say that they did. I'm almost I, I'm almost hundred percent sure they did. Yeah. yeah. Like, come on. This is what won. Okay, so there's a an um account I follow on Twitter that's like movie memes official, and it's just like crew members making memes. And it was like, <laughs> it was like, uh, 
Tenet wins, you know, Oscar for best visual effects, and they put it into basically like iMovie, and they were playing the song, you know, that was in all the trailers. That's, um, I mean, it's a great song. I have it on one of my workout playlists. But it's the scene of of the car, the first time he sees the car flip over and then reverse, and all they did was play it backwards. <laughs> and I lost it. <laughs> I was like, that's. It's so true, but but to be fair, like I'm looking at my notes right now, and I'm like, I literally wrote like no standouts. Mulan was great. Mulan looked cool. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot to say about this category. Like, I, I, I like, feel really? like I feel like <laughs> again, Mank should have been nominated because there was more visual effects in Mank than there were than in there Tenet. Were in t- <laughs> I pointed that out to someone and they got argumentative last night. They were like, no way. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) entire sections of that are CGI. (laughs) Like what? Okay. Best documentary feature. Oh, to me, this is pandering. This was the, here's for you audience. This is your award. We're going to give you the most random of, of all the awards tonight. Here you go. What, what are your feelings on My Octopus Teacher? Because as far as I'm concerned, when you have a film like Collective actually show people dying at the beginning and you don't win the Oscar and you're nominated in international film as well, come on. I am disappointed. This is the one category where I was like, damn, I'm disappointed. Like, honest to God, disappointed. So I loved Crip Camp and I loved Collective. I would have been completely fine with either of them winning. Crip Camp was my first choice. Collective was my second. We did like ranked voting for our bracket. Um, we get very competitive in my friend group. <laughs> um, when this won, literally the entire Zoom went, are you shitting me? Like in unison almost. We were like, what the fuck? Like I, <laughs> I don't really swear like that all the time. So I was just like, are you kidding right now? Like I just, I was flabbergasted and it's exactly what you said. It was audience pandering of like this man and his octopus. This is where I'm going to get a little, you know, as you say, I guess like more socially conscious, woke, whatever you want to call it, but it's true. The Academy literally put an animal over the lives of human beings, in my opinion, especially like disabled humans. That's what I had beef with. I was like, Everything else is subjective. Taste in movies is mostly subjective. Like there, there are some objectively horrific films that get made <laughs> and not in the way that I like them. There are some objectively wonderful films that get made, but whether you like them or not is subjective. Documentaries are literally about real life things. And if you, especially given what happened this past year, if you watched Collective and thought, this was somehow not as impactful as a man playing with an octopus. I cannot help you. Like I cannot help you. I'm sorry. I just, it was absolutely pandering to the audience. I was so over it when it happened. I was much more upset about this than anything else that happened last night. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely painful. Have more on octopus teacher. No, let's roll. Let's let's. I'm gonna get mad if we talk about it too long. I was gonna let's say <laughs> we're all just gonna get mad. The collective, like I don't anything. Fucking mole agent. I don't give a shit. Anything deserved to win over fucking my octopus teacher. <laughs> okay, let's get into into short subject. Best documentary okay. short subject. I can't believe that the film I thought should win actually won that. Actually won. I, Same. Fucking shocked. 
like I thought that it was just going to be a Netflix sweep on the shorts categories and it was going to be said and done and let's call it a day, but. Well, I had the same reaction. Um, this was something again, that I could just tell that a lot of people might not have watched all the nominees. Um, again, I'm a champion of short film. I feel like more people should be paying attention to it period. And if we're going to have the idea of like, oh, this movie was too long. Well, good news. There's two whole categories at the Oscars for three whole categories at the Oscars for, for shorts. Um, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I was like, well, at this point in the night, I think I was like, okay, like, I'm glad that this got me some points on my bracket because I was so shocked. I literally didn't know how to react. I'm shocked I, that you actually picked it because I was like, there's no way in hell. I'm like, as much as I think this is the best film of the category, no way in hell it's winning it. Well, the only other thing I think I picked winning was a love song for Latasha. I think that was the only other one that I was like, I was like, yeah, I might vote for this or whatever. I might pick this. Um, I, it's been a while since I've seen do not split. And I couldn't remember when I was voting. I was like, I genuinely can't remember the the narrative of this short. Yeah, it was <laughs> I like, felt so bad. I was like, yeah, it was, I remember. it was very early in the year. Cause it like hit the festivals really early. That's all. That's where I saw it. I was like, on, it was like an on-demand festival thing. And I was like, Oh God, what was this movie? Of? I was like, I felt so like such a fraud. I was like looking up bylines for stuff and, and log lines for stuff. I was like, Oh my God help me um because normally i take much more detailed notes but i didn't go to physically go to any festivals last year so i again i was like like, yeah cool that was fun like i (laughs) just marked it off i was like no that was fun i hope that wins um yeah there were several moments like that last night (laughs) best animated feature going to seoul i i think that this shouldn't have happened but I'm I'm very curious of, of your opinion on this one. I okay, and I try not to have a bias because I don't super love um, I don't super love animated stuff anymore. Like I just even as a kid, I never was very into it. Like I used to watch like Animal Planet. It's stuff. amazing how much you're like my wife. Like both of you I hate know, animation. <laughs> I don't hate it. It's yeah, that's, not like that's you're just gonna give the same response she gives. So <laughs> yeah, I don't hate not, it, but <laughs> it's not. I don't get enthusiastic about it. Soul was fun. It was pretty to look at. It had a nice message. Um, I liked Wolfwalkers better, right? Because um, it was yeah, just better. So, it, 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 it was just better. You, you know what? <laughs> you, you know what Wolfwalkers had that Soul didn't? A soul. Oh, but um. <laughs> I mean, the Shaun the Sheep movies are cute, but I didn't think it deserved to be nominated. I, I was like, I can't believe that that got a nomination over Croods, too. Like, I'm oh, same. shocked. Well, if we're going to, because let's be honest, most of the time the animated feature section is about commercial acclaim. And this is supposed to be the I audience like, award. <laughs> right. Right. So when I knew Soul, I mean, I knew Soul was going to win. I was like, they're not giving this to anybody else. Um, I think Onward had a cute little message too. Like this is all a very, I want there to be a year where there's like an, an animated film, but like PG-13, not to be edgy, like not like comedic, like South Park style, but like 
just it just so happens to be animated. I think that would be groundbreaking at this point in our in our timeline. I say this all the time on the Twitter that we live in the dumb, dumbest timeline. <laughs> but yeah, that was. I mean, I wanted Wolfwalkers to win. I knew it wasn't going to. Here we are. <laughs> Best animated short film. If anything happens, I love you. Uh, I I I just figured it was going to happen. So. Yeah, I let I genuinely enjoyed it. That was now the animated shorts this year held my attention a little better. Um I I thought it was great. I don't have any critiques for that entire category other than I like to one. <laughs> like I would say that Burrow put the most amount of money into the campaign, so I was shocked that it maybe didn't come out on top, but Netflix also campaigned hard for this, so Yeah. I you know, I saw so little of all the campaigns this year, like what all went into them, that I genuinely fell out of the loop when people were mentioning oh my God, this. I get, a, I get an email like every 10 minutes. It's ridiculous. You're like, you're like, I get it. Christ. Like, well, okay. That's why I was shocked that uh, a concerto didn't win. Because if you want to talk about the amount of effort, campaigning, money that somebody put into all of the Oscars. I don't care what category. Concerto spent the most amount of money of anybody far and away as far as I'm concerned. Like, it was every half hour, like, trying to hammer this film down my throat. They just did an email campaign? Or do they... I know some people got sent, like... Oh, everybody got sent everything. Yeah, everything. Like, it was just... Concerto, like, went hard. Like, real hard. And then didn't pull it out. Oh, my God. That's, like... uh, Yeah, that's a whole other discussion. Is like, movies that campaigned really hard and then never win. (laughs) Like, the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that get spent on campaigns. But, yeah, I mean, you're not the first person to tell me that. Um, But I I did notice that there was a significant drop-off in physical campaign items this year at least from the people that i oh, spoke with and all i want is that 900 page mank book and nobody will yes. send it to me so somebody send that to me i i feel we're like gonna, all i've been doing is campaigning for this goddamn film since december <laughs> I, I i put it in my top 10 of all time somebody just send me this book already we're gonna start a twitter campaign for it we'll get you there <laughs> okay live action short film i'm not shocked with one I don't think that it should have won over the letter room, though. Two I'm distant strangers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I thought that maybe the letter room or what I might have won. I thought um, I thought with the star power behind letter room and Oscar Isaac, like actually trying to campaign for it, I I thought it was a, a lock. I I get I, I get why two distant strangers won, but still. Well, that's the one that I watched first was the letter room. And then I watched the rest of them kind of like, I just went straight down the list of like what I had access to. And I was like, well, those are all, you know, well done. I see why they're all nominated. There wasn't, sometimes there's like in a category, you know, there'll be something where you're just like, oh my God, why? Why was this nominated? And that didn't, there wasn't anything in this category that made me say that. But I, I had the letter room pick to win. And then, I mean, Two Distant Strangers was, great but um this was another moment of the night when i think those of us who were in our bracket on zoom like going down the list this is when we started splitting hairs on on points like who was going to win in the end because we had the we had everything else more or less picked the same but these are the categories that are fun for me as a as someone who's very in the film and um as an actor because 
it's worth studying, you know, to me, it gives me performances worth studying. So I enjoyed this category. I'm not surprised that it won, but I did want the letter room to win. I think we're going to get to your favorite category next best sound sound of metal. I I appreciate what sound <laughs> of metal did. And I, I, I really do appreciate like giving you this immersive experience of what it is like to be deaf and taking you into this, into this world. I I will say there was not any attention given to Mank. And if you've seen how they recorded it to how it finally came out, I'm sorry, that's a shit ton of work. And if you want to talk about, I'm, I'm mad that this is two different, this is one category, not two separate categories right. anymore. Because right. it really should, one, I, as far as I'm concerned, one should have went to Mank, one should have went to Sound of Metal because the amount of work that both of those put in is astronomical. Insane. Well, one is like sound design and then the other one is just like more general. Well, it's just sound editing, you know. essentially. Right, right. And so, and I've watched the making, the little, the featurette you were talking about, the behind the scenes of Mank and everything. And it's, I mean, again, it just gives you another appreciation for that film. Um, I've never seen a more frustrating like sound department than that. Like they just look like they have aged a hundred years trying to do, <laughs> do the sound for that film, and the amount of like lengths that they had to go to make it sound the way that it did. I'm I'm sorry. The fact that I didn't even get any recognition. What the hell? They they look like they all just want to take a long walk down like Santa Monica in rush hour. Like they're they're all just like. Oh God, kill me now! Like bless them. But Sound of Metal for me was more about giving an audience the experience of what it's like to be hard of hearing or deaf. And then, so many people don't understand the limitations of a cochlear implant. And I have family and friends with, that have cochlear implants, and it was not an easy decision. Um, it's it's an immersive aspect of the movie, and again, I'm inclined to agree with you that if this would have been the original two separate categories, they each would have won something. Um, God, I just love sound of metal so much. Like <laughs> I, it was, it was my make. Like it was my, like, I, I cried, I laughed. I it's, it's, and again, that's more of a personal preference. Again, I, I think absolutely every single one of these films deserve to be nominated and like people voted what they voted for. It was just my personal favorite um, across the board pretty much in every category that it was nominated in. Well, um, now we now we get to something that I don't think was a personal favorite for anybody, but that's Ma Rainey's <laughs> Black Bottom and winning best costume design. <laughs> um yeah, what what are your feelings on this one? I feel like so, uh, it should have won that, but to also win, let's just talk about both of them because it also won makeup and hairstyling. Right. One of those was a lot more deserving than the other one. Correct. And a period piece is always going to be hard to beat, you know, like it, it's, but there were more than one nominated this year. <laughs> so Ma Rainey as a film, I think was beautiful. I think the actress performances were well done. I just think it fell prey to what a lot of biopics do, which is they're banking on fans of that person to just like the film because it's about the person. And Ma Rainey is actually from my hometown area. So there was a lot of, you know, hype from the 
people I know that work in film who are also from where I'm from. And they were like, oh my gosh, that's so cool, blah, blah, blah. Like it was a lot of hype and then not a lot of payoff. And again, beautiful movie, love that it won costuming, great acting. It just wasn't what, what we were marketed and then what we got were slightly different. And I think that kind of led to its kind of being pushed off to the side by everyone. Even people I know that saw it and really enjoyed it weren't like, it wasn't very memorable for them for whatever reason, all the lay people in my life, you know? Um, and I don't want to poo-poo anybody's work. Like I never want to put, cause again, getting a movie made is a feat into of itself, unto of itself. Like that's amazing. And it was a beautiful film, but I just don't think it had that punch. So many people were looking for in it, that emotional touchstone. Um, yeah, I, I hate to keep trailing off, but my thoughts are just going to kind of keep going if I don't. <laughs> Best international feature film. Thomas Vinterberg pulling this out. Uh, I, I was so freaking excited. I was like, yeah. Like, clapping on the Zoom. Yeah, like, like as a film snob, <laughs> anytime that a Dogma 95 director wins an Oscar, it's just there's something sweet about it. It's the biggest fuck you to everybody that voted for the award. Like, I love everything about it. I love it so much. And it's such a fun film. Like, I, I saw it twice, loved it, was like, this is my kind of movie. Um, the speech acceptance speech was hilarious. I was like, what is he talking about right now? Like, just, <laughs> he was, I think he was just so excited that his words got out ahead of him. And everybody I was watching it with and was like, what is he saying? Like, what, what? And we're just like, just collect your award and go home. I'm surprised he didn't get played off. I was so sh- I thought for sure he was going to be the first one of the night to get played off. And then he didn't. I like that they didn't play anybody off, to be quite honest. But Same. now <clears throat> thinking about like the whole uh, quest love having things pre-recorded and just not being able to see, I don't know that he knew if he could play anybody off at that at that point anyway. No, I think he. Um, oh, excuse me. I think he uh, was hesitant because he was probably like, "Well, I don't really know what's going on other than that I'm here." Um, yeah, again, so many levels of like the production aspect to this played into how people viewed it as they watched it. And I think that colored their perception of the movies themselves and the winners themselves and that kind of stuff. That's a whole other can of worms to open. <laughs> Best adapted screenplay, The Father. Oh. Did you have this at all picked? I'm no. <laughs> I was like, excuse. I was like, all ready to like mark it down as my like, you know. I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna add my points, and they said the father, and I was like, well, never mind. Okay, who did you think was gonna win? Who did you want to win this? Hold on, let me pull up my notes. I keep going out of my notes um, because I have both pulled up right now. So. It was Nomadland, Minari, The Father. Who, who else was nominated? Because I'm losing my... I only have my winners. Borat. That's right. And I think I wanted Minari to win. And then I think I actually picked Nomadland. I think that's who I wound up voting. At this point in the night, I had about three glasses of champagne. So I was just like, yay. Like I was like clapping after everybody. <laughs> and then this came up and I was like... What? 
I was I was actually a little bit more shocked that Borat didn't win. Uh, just the lead up to really? it, really? Yeah, like the amount of awards that it won leading up to it. I'm shocked. I was only a little surprised because I had been talking to friends all week who, like you, are very in the industry, and they all live in LA as well, and they all vote and. I was less surprised that it was not Borat and more surprised that it was the father. Although I, I think Borat would have, because I think my thought process was that, that I was like, it had a script. Like I, I was like, this has a script. See, And I guess the, the parts of it do. But I think a lot of people really like Lee Kern and hearing Lee yeah. actually talk about the, the process of writing this screenplay, I thought was going to get a lot of, it got a lot of other guilds to get behind it because they got a lot of awards for writing this this screenplay. So I thought that this like, ball was ball was just going to keep rolling. Oh, absolutely! I think it. Um, I think it had the momentum behind it. I just didn't think it was going to win because it's it's the Oscars. Like it felt like there's there's still a weight to it i guess and if you're taking a shot every time i say that word bless you you're gonna have liver damage at this point in the podcast like <laughs> i've got to pick a better word um but yeah there's a i mean i think it's still the oscars to people you know so i i would have been thrilled i still love that she got nominated for best supporting actress <laughs> oh yeah i think it's great best original screenplay Emerald Fennell, Promising Young Woman. I knew she was going to win. I just, I knew it in my gut. Like, I was like, there's nothing, there's very little logical about my choice in this category, but I was just like, I have a gut feeling they're going to give it to her. Well, it just comes down to, I don't care how much you like Sorkin, like he's won many, and it, it comes, many, many awards. And it comes down to original screenplay is a new and vibrant voice. There's a reason guys like Jordan Peele have won this recently. I, I don't think that there was a, a chance for it to not be her at this point. I knew Sound of Metal was not going to win. Um, but that's also because the Academy hates Cien France. Correct. That has nothing <laughs> to do with the screenplay. That has nothing to do with the film. That has everything to do with there are certain guys, David Fincher, Christopher Nolan, Quentin sure. Tarantino, Derek Cien France. They're guys that the Academy are going to shit on for the rest of time. And listen, when any of these guys start winning Best Director Awards, I will start giving my full heart back to the Academy. But until they start doing the right things again, what the fuck are you doing? I, and see, this is the kind of like insider baseball stuff that I can't really talk about on, say, Clubhouse, unless I find other filmmakers who know these kind of things. Because otherwise, I just sound like the crazy conspiracy theorist who's like, you know, they're just out to get my favorite screenwriters. No, I'm well aware of what's, you know, reality. Um, and I love that movie. <laughs> but it, I just knew it wasn't going to win. And Chloe had been on the blacklist. And someone actually uh, retweeted her original tweet saying, holy shit, my script, Promising Young Woman, is in the blacklist this year from 2018. And it was a good, you know, a good, like, crappy filmmakers can do it like moment which again i think is a part of the appeal of the oscars to a broader audience like just this idea that you can you can do it whatever it is for you 
And then there's those of us that are in the industry that are just like, yeah, I guess. Like, <laughs> we're just like, yeah, that's cool. That's, that's nice. That's a cute idea. Um, I have, I have a lot of thoughts about, um, again, Trial of the Chicago 7 getting nominated. I wasn't thrilled with that film as a whole. I was like, okay. When I got done watching it, I just went, okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, everyone's like, you didn't have any sort of like emotional reaction to it. And I was like, that's fine. Like I, <laughs> I didn't have a, a pull to it the way I did The Sound of Metal or Mank or even Minari. Minari was beautiful. Are you kidding me? Um, but yeah, that's, again, I think too many times people, like you were saying in, in your big speech, like too many times people are expecting this like big polarizing opinion and people need to just learn how to be like, it was fine or it was okay if that's how they feel. Because too many times I think they want to get on and be a talking head and, and go to these extremes of it was the best thing I've ever seen or it was the worst thing I've ever seen. Well, I don't care if you shit on a film. I don't care if you love a film, but to go out there and this is all you do is this was great. This was shit. And you never give any context behind why you feel this way. And you give it a one or five and you have no explanation behind it. Come on. Like you cannot just tell me that you hate a critically acclaimed film. Give it a one and not explain yourself whatsoever. Like all I've done right. for my entire life is explain why I don't like Shawshank, but I've also explained my entire life why I don't like that film. Like I just, it's not even that I hate that film. I hate it now because of what it's become. But back yeah. then, I just, I thought it was an incredibly overrated movie that got saved by one review at Oscar time. And if it wasn't for that one review, that film would have died because it came out in, in February. So we would not be talking. I got to go back and watch this. We would not be talking about Shawshank to this day if it was not for Ebert's review on December 5th, 1994. Or 1990, yeah, 1994. Yeah. I need to go back and watch it because as a child who was, as someone who was literally like born when all this was happening, like, the only time I've ever seen it, and this is coming from a huge Stephen King fan, was like on TBS on Sunday afternoons when they would have like the Sunday night movie or whatever. And I, it's been years since I've seen the actual theatrical cut. And it doesn't, imp- I mean, it's fine. Again, it, it tells the story more or less, but I'm not like. It just kills me that The Green Mile is a better movie and we don't talk about that more. I fucking love the green mile this is again we're gonna have to have a whole conversation about Stephen king adaptations <laughs> another day because so many of them are so bad and then the ones that are good are really good <laughs> well you mentioned minari and let's see if i can have yes. my brad brad pitt moment of fucking this up young john yeah oh, i already fucked it up i don't even want to do it can you do it properly yep. yes give me two seconds okay Because I screwed this up earlier and I will not do it again. Yoon Young Jung. Brilliant. At least you didn't just pull the Brad Pitt moment like I just did as well. I bless his heart, first of all, because she <laughs> I I love that she's just like holding on to him in some of these pictures, by the way. Um I saved some pictures from last night as I was like screenshotting stuff to talk about. Um I her acceptance speech is going to go down in history as one of the best acceptance speeches ever. 
I thought she was brilliant. Um, there's not a single actress that could have, again, that could have won that I would have been upset with winning. I did appreciate, um, oh my God, Borat actress whose name I'm just suddenly blinking on. Maria Bakalova. That's it. I did appreciate Maria being nominated. I would have been over the moon if she would have won. It'd have been just so over good. the moon. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I was rooting for her from like the pit of my stomach. I was like, yes, girl, do it. But I'm glad, you know, that Yoon won. Um, she's so honest. And I think that's kind of more of what we need in awards. Well, and she was the life of the film. Like, I, as far as I'm concerned, oh, she... that film would have been okay. She elevated that film to a whole other level. Whole other level. And and I hate that I'm realizing now I keep shaking my head to people listening to this. Robert's not interrupting me. I'm just cutting myself off and shaking my head in agreement because I'm literally running out of words. She's phenomenal. And there were so many moments where that film could have gone to a, I mean, it is a heavy film in places, but to a heavy place that it could not have gotten pulled out of because there would not have been a, her character there to step in and kind of drive the story forward. And I think out of everyone that was nominated of all the supporting, you know, actresses, she had kind of the definition of a supporting role, like a true supporting role of carrying that story along and being a backbone of the narrative. Um, she's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Best supporting actor goes to my motherfucking man, Daniel Kaluuya. I, I was so happy. As far as I'm concerned, like he's, it's going to take like two more films and he's going to be the greatest actor of, of, of this generation. Like dude is fucking killing it. Like I, 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 he, I'm sorry. He's never been in a bad movie. Like dude has, is like the greatest not a fucking, single one. he is the neck. He is the new DiCaprio in my opinion. And that's coming from me. Who's so, the biggest DiCaprio fan. <laughs> I was going to say that's, that's high praise. Um, so he picks such amazing films and I had this discussion last night to get to a point in your career where you can pick films as an actor is huge, but God, does he know how to pick them? Like he is just knocking it out of the park year after year, role after role. And I understand what people were saying about, you know, how do they both get nominated for supporting actor? Like how is that not both just regular best actor. But if you have an ensemble cast, then that becomes a bigger conversation of, okay, who, who was lead and who wasn't. Um, but yeah, God, I was so happy when he won. And then his, his acceptance speech, whole nine yards, just absolutely wonderful. Nothing like what embarrassing a your mom at the Oscars. I love it. <laughs> I know her face, her hands in her head. She's like, <laughs> why, why? Like I'm, I'm the biggest Black Panther, just anything film-wise Black Panther throughout all my life. Like that, I gravitate towards that shit, and I've always thought about who is going to be Chairman Fred Hampton. Yep. And then when it was announced that Daniel was gonna do it, I'm like, there's nobody better. I don't, I, I don't know of an actor right now that could kill that role like he's going to, and then he did like tenfold. That was one again. It's the, my favorite word, it's the weight behind what he chooses to do. He makes strong choices, which is severely lacking in a lot of acting. <laughs> I feel some type of way about that, but yes. 
I do have thoughts on Judas and the Black Messiah. What did what did you think of it? Because as much as I like the film, and a lot of people are gonna hate me for this, Lakeith brought the film down. And here's why really? here's why. I feel like Daniel Kaluuya was acting for a very specific film, and that was the film that we got. But anytime that Lakeith came into the picture, he was a completely different acting style and acting for a completely different film. The film seems completely disjointed to me anytime that those two were on screen, especially when they're acting against each other. It doesn't mesh well with me. And I love Lakeith. Dude is amazing. I think he's a great actor. I just think that he was miscast for this particular role. And that's why the film, may, if it wasn't Lakeith, I feel like it might have won Best Picture. And it might have been even bigger in the awards race than it ultimately ended up being. I think it fell victim to some marketing or lack of. I think it is going to become bigger than what it is now. Again, as we come out of Oscar season and award season and things get re-released in theaters and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I watched it right when it came out. So I actually need to rewatch it now with your critique of Lakeith in mind, because there was something that I couldn't quite put my finger on that did pull me out of the era. And it, it very well, very well might've been Lakeith, but I wasn't, I, I still can't quite put my finger on it. I think it was, because I know those act like I know their body of work so well. And I'm such big fans of both of them that like it had that moment of like, Oh, that's like Keith Stanfield. <laughs> oh, that's Daniel Kluwer. Like it was, it was like, I, it's like if Robert Downey Jr. Shows up in something other than Iron Man. <laughs> oh, that's Robert Downey Jr. Like I, <laughs> it, it was that moment for me. And I just need to go back and watch it now with that critique in mind. Cause I'm, I'm completely open to critiquing any of these films. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of killing our darlings. So I'll have to go back and watch it <laughs> now with that in mind. Best director, Chloe Zhao, No Bad Land. <sighs> I have I have many thoughts on this category, but <laughs> you okay. I'm gonna keep it short. I'm also gonna keep it short. I yeah, I love that she won because of her again, to me this felt almost like a little bit of a body of work moment instead of just the one movie moment. Um, I think everyone else thought that Emerald was going to win it, at least in, in my circle of people that I was speaking to, or people were hysterically emphatic about Lee Isaac Chung winning it. Like, like the, the Chung fans were like, he's just got to win it. He's just got to, he's got to. And if it's one thing the Oscars have taught me is like, don't hold out for your fave winning things. Ever. Especially best director. Um, never, 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 ever, ever root on your favorite director. Never. And I'm a Fincher fangirl, but again, I understood why Chloe won. Um, it, it's really hard for me to pick in that category because I've seen all the making of for almost every single one of these films, like whatever they had out and available. So it's going to be hard for me to narrow that down. Um, I think they each kind of had a feat to overcome. I think David kind of had a bigger hill to climb in terms of production value and people to wrangle and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
just the sheer scale, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. I personally feel Chloe is one of the most boring directors working today. <clears throat> I am, if you want to call me not excited for Eternals, you could, that's not even like scratching the surface. I, she is the epitome of Oscar bait. Her style, her demeanor, her filmmaking, her like how how she wants things shot, lit, everything else. It makes sense that her life partner is her cinematographer because mm. he plays into her bullshit on a regular basis. I think that she is an incredibly lazy filmmaker. And for all the amazing females that are out there working today in the director category, for her to win over the rest of them, I get that the Asian and and the female aspect is great, but I'm sorry there is better female film filmmakers out there and they're they're making much better films, not complete Oscar bait as far as I'm concerned. Well, it's funny because I when I saw Nomadland, I actually wrote in my notes Oscar bait, like as soon as I saw the trailer. And then I saw it and all my notes were just Oh, this is going to win a lot of awards during award season. <laughs> I also feel like Francis's performance was also just very lazy. And Oh, we can, yeah. And uh, yeah. Here, here's what really kills me. The budget kills me. You're going to make a movie called Nomadland and you're going to have that budget and you're going to go that over the top and you're going to make America, in my opinion, not even look pretty and <laughs> you're going to dilute it and completely give lazy twilight style cinematography to it i i i can't stand Ooh, i can't the twilight style i can't stand her and and her life partners like look and the way that they approach a film it, it it's it's just atonement light to me i don't like <laughs> i cannot get behind her and and her filmmaking now that you've said that i'll never be able to unsee it atonement light I just, I can't, I will never be able to get behind her. I think she's the worst director to ever win this uh, award. And this is the worst film since Slumdog and Crash to win the best picture. But we'll get well, to that. Well, I knew that. you didn't like Slumdog. Well, yeah, I knew you didn't like Slumdog. I was going to say, I've got like 10 minutes, but we got we can we can get through this. Well, then we're going to do it in order. We're going to go uh, okay. uh, actress, Francis. Well, no, no, it was best picture was next. Because as yep. far as I'm concerned, they were trying to bury it. Because Soderbergh knew Correct. that it wasn't a great film. And let's just put it as the third last, and let's have people not remember that this won. As far as I'm concerned, they were not going out because it was a gamble. The, I, I get that they were trying for the Chadwick Memoriam at the end, but mm -hmm. he, Soderbergh was also trying to bury that. He knew that that film did not hold weight, and it's not going to hold weight as the years go on. No, it's... um. I was shocked when it won Best Picture. Shocked. I, I disappointed. I think is okay to say here. Again, I wanted I wanted um, Sound of Metal or Mank to win. Minari was my third, and then everything else in between with Nomadland the absolute last. Um, I knew Charlie Chicago Seven was not going to win. I wasn't sure about Judas and the Black Messiah. I was in the fence if they, I didn't, you know, about its chances. I was afraid they were going to give it to Promising Young Woman because of a quote-unquote message, and I'm really glad they didn't. But I'm really disappointed that no Madland won. 
Okay, let's let, let's do the last two in memoriam style. Okay. Best actress, Frances McDormand. <laughs> in memoriam style, Rob. Um, lazy, lazy acting in this, and I have no problem saying that. She, th- there's another actor you've heard me speak of this way, um, and I was just not impressed. I think Andrew Day was critically underrated. That film could have been much bigger than it was. Um, and I think the only other person, you know, well, who did you want to win? Because I, I'm all over the place in this category. These, none of these movies gripped me the way I think I expected them to. Um, but the United States versus Billie Holiday was, was close. I would say anybody but Francis should have won that. And like Andra probably yeah. should have won that. So, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And then. I mean, just criminally underrated. And then final of the night. I'm I'm curious of your opinion on having best actor is last, but Anthony Hopkins for the father. What a shit show. Um, I think they just really banked on Chadwick getting it posthumously and, and they had used him kind of like a, an avatar for like a mascot for the whole night. Like there was all this buildup and I feel bad for, you know, uh, so many, uh, so many people that that were excited to watch him win and i i wanted riz to win and i i said it before i said you know if it was any other year against any other set of actors riz, riz would have won riz would have won hands down um yeah i i will say this to to the entire thing there's been two po- two post um uh, posthumous i do it too there's been two posthumous <laughs> yes in the history of the oscars peter finch and and Heath Ledger, those were two of the most iconic performances in the history of cinema. I know that the Academy wasn't just going to give it to Chadwick because it wasn't to that level of a performance. I'm sorry, Ma Rainey is not network. It's not The Dark Knight. It's not those performances. Like uh, to bank on that is a bold, fucking crazy move. Again, I heard that mostly from lay people that he was a shoo-in to win because they have an, an idea and a view of the Oscars that we don't. And it's not, and then there are people that are within the industry that also have that view of the Oscars. Um, I think he should have won for 42. I think he should have won for several of his other films <laughs> or at least been nominated versus what he actually got nominated for. It was wild. It was the wildest ending to the... Like, this, to me, was funnier than... And when I say funnier, I mean, like, in that dark, oh, no way, than the La La Land Moonlight mix-up. Because so <laughs> Questlove was just like, okay, good night. I lost it. <laughs> I was like, what just happened, you guys? Like, I hope that they recorded that Zoom video last night because I, I was in full glam. Like, I did my hair and makeup. I wore a dress. Brandon that was on the Zoom with me wore a tux. We were, you know, everybody else that watched was in casual clothing, but we were, were in casual clothing, but we decided to dress up. And I just, I was holding my wine glass and I go, what? And I like leaned into the camera so far <laughs> that you could see like every pore in my face and everybody was shook. Everybody was like, what the, what just happened? What just happened? And of course I immediately start refreshing Twitter and it's like a hellscape. It's like, 
between between Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and and Clubhouse, I just watched the world burn last night. Like I was like, what is happening? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I. It was a funny inning and the ending in a not so funny way, and I don't want to be disrespectful to Chadwick Boseman's memory at all. But my God, and then they used him as like a weird. He was an NFT in the goodie bags, is what I heard, and I was like this is messed up. Like this is a, this is a weird thing. Um, but yeah, wow. What a, I feel like honestly, it was the perfect Oscars to go with a year like 2020. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can we expect from you coming up, Jamie? Um, I am in pre-production for a horror film coming up uh, so far, the working title. And I'm assuming it's going to be the final title because we've, we've started actually getting the official scripts. It's called our first priority. Um, so that'll be released this October. I am pre-production right now. We start filming in June. Um, I am on clubhouse doing a lot of table reads. And then as COVID allows, as things finally start to get lifted, I will hopefully be on with more positive news. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on the show. We need to do this a whole hell of a lot more often. So, Yes, please. Thank you for having me. I love shooting the shit with you. So, Thank you for listening. That was Jamie Kirsten Howard. You can catch her over on Instagram at Jamie Kirsten Howard. And this concludes our broadcast day. (laughs) 